All right. So this is podcast number two. Uh, we are remote this time. We are not in person. I am in Puerto Rico and Tiff is in New York. Yeah. And it's, I think it's been about a month since our first one and kind of in tune or in line with how our last one happened. It was kind of spurred the moment, uh, or at least the topic was kind of spurred the moment in terms of what was happening in our lives. And it seems like uh, we'll probably do something similar this time. Uh, but this, this time Tiff has the Tiff has the has the goods. So I'll let you kind of intro backdrop this podcast number two. <laughs> That's okay. Um so I guess background is that for two weeks um recently. So I got back around a week ago. My family and I went to Europe together for the first time. So this is my parents and then my sister who just graduated residency. And we were doing a trip to celebrate her graduation, basically. That's my parents' first time in Europe. So it was really exciting. But something that was pretty frustrating throughout our trip. And, and I think just like made me more self-conscious along the way. And definitely added to the emotional drain that I felt by the end of the trip was the social and racial dynamics that popped up as we were traveling um and again like I've, I've traveled quite a bit before and sometimes by myself and I think as an Asian woman traveling alone there have been times where I've gotten stares or offhand comments from people especially when you go to places where they're just not exposed to like people of color as much and specifically Asian people um, but this is my first time traveling internationally with my family because my parents are separated. So in the past, we haven't really done trips like this before. And it brought about a whole new set um, of emotions <laughs> that I wanted to talk about today. So we went to three countries in two weeks. Um, so France, Italy, Netherlands. And then we were in France for one week, Italy for like three days or so, and then Amsterdam and Netherlands for another three days. and how do I say and I think with from what I've heard and I don't know how true this is but I've heard that France and Italy can be not the most welcoming already to um towards like people of other races and people who are visiting so France I've heard that they don't like Americans and they don't really like people who speak English or are not as comfortable speaking English themselves as well. And for Italy, I don't know as much, but I've just heard that some people can be a bit racist. And then Netherlands, I've heard is friendlier and generally more uh, welcoming towards people of different backgrounds. Um, and I think like along the way, surprisingly, we had the most aggressive incident um, in Netherlands, which is pretty surprising because we were in Amsterdam, which is a really diverse city. But basically, like my dad, myself and my sister, we were biking in the park. And then there was this man who I'm pretty sure was drunk, who yelled at my dad all of a sudden when he was taking photos, but saw his bike. And then he was like, Chinese people can't bike. And then my dad got mad um, and, <laughs> and he went off at this guy. And then he was making it clear for this man that he was Taiwanese and not Chinese. And then like I ended up like I, I saw what was happening and then went over to my dad and then he explained to me what happened and then I <laughs> and then I also 
I also got mad at this man. And for context, I, I'm also just, I'm a very sweet person, but surprisingly confrontational, especially with strangers who are being douches to myself or people that I care about. So friends and family. And then, so I kind of just like went off at this guy also. And then, and then he like said more racist shit. And then my sister kind of got involved and was like, oh, just like, just stop. Like he's drunk. Like he's not going to change his mind, et cetera. And then we let it go. And again, that was the most aggressive incident that happened along the way. But besides that, we just dealt with other microaggressions, um, which some of which I think were well-intentioned, you know, the, the common, like, you walk by someone and then they say like ni hao or whatever, speak in whatever English, Asian language and greet you in whatever way they can. Or like one of our waiters in Venice in Italy, for example, like asking us where we were from, which a lot of people asked that, but I just answered California, even though I knew a lot of times they were probably curious for more. But then, right? So I'm like, I'm a little petty. So that I'm a little petty. I'm like, if you want to ask, like, ask. But also, like, why does it matter? So then, like, he asked where we were from. I said California, and then he followed up, and then he was like, origin. And again, I think it's well intentioned, but that just like, annoyed me a bit. And then I and I explained to him, I was like, oh, like my parents are from Taiwan. Um, my sister and I were born in California, and then he left it at that, and. That incident bothered me because I think when it happens in America, it's objectively more frustrating because I'm an American. I was born here and getting that kind of question from someone who's usually an older white man in most cases asking me where I'm really from is frustrating because it's implying like you're not from here or you don't look like you're from here or maybe even an underlying like you don't belong here. And I usually give more benefit of the doubt when traveling abroad, because again, I know that a lot of times, like people don't have as much exposure to Asian people, but I don't know, I I think by that point in the trip, I was just feeling like too self-conscious with all the staring that we were getting and just like offhand comments. So didn't have the patience for it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I guess today I was interested in hearing your thoughts, Brandon, if you've experienced things like this on the past especially because I know you've traveled a lot as well um and I'm not sure if you traveled with your family before or like if we want to bring that layer into it necessarily which I think complicates mm-hmm. thing. but yeah your experiences in terms of dealing with racial dynamics um yeah usually when it comes to these kinds of topics or this specific topic I tend to relate less um i don't know whether it's because i legitimately experience it less or because i literally don't process it as a microaggression um i don't yeah i I can't tell which it is um because like i i worked in when i was in ministry and i basically traveled taught in churches i was all over the midwest and south Uh, like North Carolina, Minnesota, Arkansas, Kansas City. Uh, And I don't remember experiencing anything that was like that. Uh, Like I only remember actually hearing a story from my brother about when he was in the Midwest one time. And then someone asked, was like, are you Oriental? And it was, that was like the worst, like 
I, like I didn't even experience anything like that. Or again, I don't know if I processed it like that. Um, part of it is because might be because that when I was traveling, I was with other people. Like I was the only Asian guy, so like I was kind of lumped in with a group. And when I was traveling, I was traveling with a Brazilian and a Mexican. Mm. Uh, so like we all three of us were already part of the minority, so to speak. So that could be it. Um, I, I don't know. I've never traveled with family internationally other than Hong Kong. We've all only gone to Hong Kong. I take it back. We've gone to Hawaii. But Hawaii is known to be much less racist from what I have heard from other podcasts. Uh, they're, they're much more inclusive because so many families just intermix. They're just like a like an amalgamation of a lot of different cultures. And that's kind of just accepted and normal there. Um, I was in real estate, which was very old white dominated. Uh, but the people that I worked with in my particular office, we were mostly Asian. My boss was Cambodian. Uh, and one of the people I worked with, he was Filipino. And we worked with a guy who was Muslim. And the, our transaction coordinator was Latina. And I'm Chinese. So like we were a super diverse team. So we didn't experience it within our office. And um, yeah, so like I hear these stories and I can relate to them or I can, I can empathize with them, but there's not that much painful firsthand experience that I have in my memory of that happening to me. I, if anything, I have that more in the positive. I think I distinctly remember like uh, one time I was dressed in business casual and went to like some business networking event and someone and a guy basically just assumed that I was like a management consultant. I'm like, thanks. I am <laughs> definitely not that. Um, so yeah. Well, I think it's good if you don't have any, if you can't like just easily recall an experience that you thought was negative in this space. And, so and I I, I certainly can think of experiences in which what you mentioned happened where th there's a whole like, where are you from? Where are you really from? Yeah. I think because I experienced that not frequently enough. And also I, I can, I, I actually have a mental frame of empathy to understand why someone might ask that. I'm much less bothered by that. I think. Yeah. So I think the two aspects of, I don't know if I experienced it frequently enough and I have like a pretty empathetic frame so it just doesn't bother me as much. And that could be totally different if I experienced it 3x more, so. That makes sense. I think that specific comment, because I think that's one that gets thrown around commonly as an example of microaggression or just ignorance. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't used to bother me as much either, even when it happened mm -hmm. in America. Because I remember mm -hmm. back in college, I, um, I came from a healthcare background and then I was a caseworker with the homeless population for a year. Mm. And I would say like that time was when I got that question the most often from mm. the clients that we worked with. Okay. Um, and it didn't really bother me in those instances. And I'm not sure if it was because it was earlier on where that was kind of like the first time in my life that I was getting that question so often. I, and I viewed it through the lens of curiosity which mm -hmm. you're of, so just in a more empathetic way. And I was like, oh, you know, they're just curious because 
you know, like, and I also know that my look is kind of ambiguous racially. So I was like, okay, you know, they just like, maybe it's hard for them to guess what I am. And they're just trying to make conversation the best way that they do or mm-hmm. find common ground in some way. Yeah. Uh, they end up knowing someone, you know, who's Taiwanese. So it didn't really bother me then. Mm. I think it was. So what happened? Yeah, no, good point. I think it was when I started traveling abroad more the years after college where those comments came up more and again I I think like when I'm traveling I give more benefit of the doubt but maybe I wonder if it has something to do with also just like the anti-Asian like violence that started increasing during the pandemic and Mm -hmm. hearing about those more in the media as well as dealing with those comments at times in New York more often than I did when I was living in SF because I've been in New York for the last two years and there was one specific incident that really got to me and I who knows maybe that was a turning point and I don't know if it was racially driven necessarily but it was basically just like these two high schoolers um who I was coming back from a team dinner and then mm-hmm. I heard these two high schoolers kind of like giggling and saying something that sounded like Chinese or some Asian language. And then I turned around and then it turns out they were recording me. Whoa. They were recording me. Okay, sorry. They were recording me and I forgot to mention they had actually, my hair was up in a ponytail that day and they actually tugged on my ponytail. What? Which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Wow. I turned around. I turned around. I was like, why is someone touching me? And then it was these two high schoolers who were recording me and laughing. And I assumed that it, it was racially driven to a certain, ex- racially motivated to a certain extent because I heard them. I think speaking Chinese right before that when they were giggling to themselves and they were noticeably not Asian. Um, So that really bothered me. And I just kind of like addressed them. And then I was like, what are you doing? Stop recording me. And I was pretty angry about it. And then they just kept on laughing. And then, and then like one of them was like, Oh, like if you want to, you can record me also. And I was like, why the fuck? (laughs) I was like, I don't want to record you. That's not a good answer to what I just said. And then I ended up just kind of like yelling at them and then walking away. But that was an experience that really jarred me. And and I'm lucky that there wasn't any violence involved in it necessarily beyond um, breaking my physical boundary mm-hmm. and touching my hair. But yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that that experience was a bit jarring. Um, yeah, so I think it's probably that, and then just hearing about other incidents like Asian women getting pushed into the subway tracks multiple times and then now I am very cautious to stand in the middle area where there is a pillar so that in case anyone does try something I have something to hold on to I think it's little things like Mm. that added up over time yeah where it wasn't necessarily like a lot of them were not things directed at me but just understanding the environment that we're in has made me more cognizant Um, Mm -hmm. and I think less empathetic for when people make such comments, such as on my family trip also. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, what what that makes me think about is how negative experiences register more painfully uh, in our memory and psyche than positive experiences. I think Gottman kind of alludes to that in the context of relationships with, with his bids, 
um, for those who don't know, like John Gottman is this researcher on relationships and he talks about like if like in romantic relationships, if like a partner makes a bid towards another, their partner, kind of like them needing emotional support, for example. And so that is a bid. One partner is basically asking for emotional support from the other person. And if that partner says no or turns them away, uh, according to his research, you need five turning toward bids in which those bids are received to sort of balance out and cancel the the turning away of a bid. And so in the same, I use that as a general principle of like, um, and I think I've just read in other books around how it's negative emotions imprint more deeply. And so I think when you, sh- that's what comes to mind when you share that. Because um, I think statistically, like how the statistical likelihood of uh, an Asian woman getting pushed into the subway is like incredibly low. Um, I would like it probably be less than, I would bet that it's less than 1%. Um, and in, in most life scenarios, uh, we're not making decisions around a thing that would only have 1% chance of happening. Um, and, um, and, but I think that's just how humans are wired in terms of a lot of, especially when it comes to like racial dynamics and racial, ugh, I guess when it comes to the idea of like uh, prejudice and judgments, snap judgments we make about people. Um, like it only takes one to two bad experiences that, and that seems if it tracks with race in those one to two inc- incidences, it basically just cements that uh cements that belief much more easily and i think that's very typical and that this is probably the most this is a controversial thought i think i've had for a while around um when people make comments about whether a behavior is racist or not um i i think like i'm more prone to think it's less oh man i'm not, not this is tricky framing um I'm less inclined to label an, an act as racist than I am to believe that it is part of like the human psyche of tracking and creating patterns around negative experiences and negative experiences they hear from other people. And like the crimes, the crimes, quote unquote, of a very small minority because of the way negative experiences imprint on us as humans we project that on the the rest of the 99%. Whether it's reasonable or not is not a commentary I'm trying to make. I think that it just happens. So like it only takes one or two bad experiences uh, for us to basically have that defensive, make, like reflex, defensive and reflexive uh, decision-making around something as subtle as you you know, not going into the middle of, or not going to the edge of the subway. Or I've heard stories uh, where people, you know, like lock their door when they're in unsafe neighborhood and there's someone walking past um, or um, among many other things. But I think that's, or that's what comes to mind when when you share that. Yeah. Wait, so are you saying that for example, so using the example of Asian woman getting pushed into the subway tracks, that it's not necessarily because she's Asian and not necessarily a racist incident. But, um, that, but then people end up believing that it probably is 
Uh, so, see the question again. Mm, like when when you were talking about um, there being like if there's like one to two negative incidents, then that can really like ingrain in someone's mind a certain belief. I, I got the sense that you were also saying something around. Um, like, for example, if it's an Asian woman getting pushed into the subway tracks and you hear about that, that it's not necessarily because she was Asian that she got pushed into the tracks, but that people end up believing that because they've had like one to two other negative incidents that they saw as racist. And then as a result, are adding to that pattern, whether it's um, true. I think that's that's accurate to what I believe generally. I think in the case of like post COVID Asian American hate and all the like, like, like spike in occurrences against Asian Americans post COVID, I think that is uniquely separate from maybe general happenings. Right. Uh, but I, yeah, I think the wave of Asian American like assault on Asian Americans, especially women, especially the elderly. I mean, I think that it wouldn't take a, a genius to kind of see what the attribution there or the causal, what caused that or what instigate that. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I would generally say if we were to not talk about this instance of COVID in Asian Americans, that's how, that would be generally how I think about it. Gotcha. Yeah. I, sometimes I can't tell if I'm, because I also know that I'm just a very sensitive person and in comparison to use my sister as an example because mm. she, she's a lot she's a lot less self-conscious of a person and she's one of the most confident people I know where she never gets nervous um never really like doubts herself from what I see in mm. decision making and just knowing what she wants to do um, so mm. for example knew that she wanted to be a doctor since she was younger and just went for it didn't really have doubts along the way or at her bachelorette party we were asking the last time she felt nervous and she honestly could not recall <laughs> she couldn't recall the last time she felt nervous and from what I've heard from my brother-in-law the only thing that makes her feel nervous is public speaking mm -hmm. understandably but I think just to use yeah, just to use my sister as an example, because we were on this trip together, mm -hmm. um, I got the sense when I brought up some of the incidents to her that these things didn't bother her as much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is knowing I'm a sensitive person also, mm -hmm. there's just naturally individual differences to how we respond to and remember and like the narrative that we create around these incidents, right? Where for example, like maybe some of these microaggressions didn't bother her and she also didn't view it as such, mm -hmm. let it slide off. But then for me, given some of the experiences that we just talked about and given my high school experience where I went to a private Catholic school and was one of the only like few people of color also and, you know, like experienced that whole like very racially hierarchical environment which mm -hmm. I've shared with you before, I do think that I'm generally just a bit more conscious mm -hmm. about uh, my ethnicity and mm -hmm. race, how it's perceived by other people as well. Well, do you think your reaction or uh, in your experience in your most recent travels would have been different if 
COVID, your, if COVID didn't happen and the post-COVID Asian American hate didn't happen. Because to me, that's what you described as the main tipping point of what shifted between you working with clients during uh, when you're working with the homeless to now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As in like whether I would have felt frustrated on my family trip with those similar incidents. Not whether you would have been frustrated at all, but or or just simply as frustrated. Because mm-hmm. you were saying that when you started working with clients, you kind of it was easy for you to kind of have the benefit of the doubt yeah whereas in this instance you kind of you said you blew up (laughs) at the guy in the park i honestly don't know it's kind of hard to say i think i've also just like become um less naive and more mm-hmm. jaded somewhat of a person than I was in college like even mm-hmm. without um like the anti-Asian mm-hmm. times yeah. that during COVID mm-hmm. but if I had if I okay I think my answer is that I would feel less frustrated but I'm not really sure mm-hmm. like how much I would feel less straight frustrated by with those incidents but I think that was probably subconsciously in my mind that you know, there are people that think this way about Asian people and mm-hmm. whether it's in America or other countries and especially because COVID was a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So with your, with these little microaggressions that you kind of, the handful that you mentioned during your trip, um, what's wrong with that? Mm. Or like what... What do you think should be different if you were to imagine a, a different world? Uh, how should have those things played out in a most perfect or more ideal world? Because mm. in my mind, in terms of like, in my mind, everything played out very reasonably. Yeah. Reason Reasonably in the sense that I don't expect humans to behave that much differently. Right. Um, my yes okay so my ideal version to use the to use the example where uh, one of our waiters asked us where we were from and then when I answered California mm-hmm. and asked about our origin that situation I think could have been more ideal if he had made really any other conversation with us besides that and mm-hmm. he didn't really and like I didn't I thought the the service there was okay, like didn't seem super friendly, like wasn't super attentive. Mm-hmm. Whereas I remember we had an Uber driver um, in, I think, France that was very talkative and didn't speak English that well, but was using his translation app to like try to have a conversation with us for basically the whole 20 minute drive and was so, so friendly and just mm. a great person to be with and he also asked us where we were from and more about our background and ethnicity but in that situation I was not bothered at all because Mm. I could tell from the rest of our conversations and interactions Mm -hmm. that he just genuinely seems like a curious person and Mm. okay get to know us as people outside of our ethnicity versus simply boiling Mm. it down boiling Mm. down our identity potentially to this one factor and again Mm. I'm not saying that Mm. 
like that's what the waiter was doing necessarily and it's very likely sure. that he was well-intentioned and simply curious but mm-hmm. I think when I was already feeling travel stress and you know like just like the exhaustion I was by that point I did not have the benefit I did not have the capacity for benefit of the doubt to excuse mm-hmm. what he said with those other things mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting it makes me think about like how often do you experience this <laughs> in in New York not as often mm-hmm. but I actually, I have experienced it a few times in New York also mm-hmm. again always older white men yep huh and I have been oh. I, I, guess I will say I have been traveling a good amount the last few years so I think adding in those even more when I'm traveling. Wait, wait, wait. Here's something <laughs> interesting. Have you ever gotten that question from another, from an older woman? Sorry, sorry, you cut out a little bit. Have, have you ever gotten that dynamic in question from an older woman? Mm. Let me think. I'm sure that I have, but honestly, <laughs> I can't recall like a single incident off the top of my head where mm-hmm. I remember who it was or how it happened. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that it has happened before. But it's just like it's so skewed towards mm-hmm. older men asking me that question. And again, it's not it's not only older men asking me that mm-hmm. question. Like I've had other people our age mm-hmm. ask, you know. But that's like that's like in conversation and usually mm-hmm. not thing that we're talking about mm-hmm. uh, so it also doesn't bother me as much and usually it's also mm-hmm. people, people of color who are asking me in which mm-hmm. case that is another difference where it doesn't bother me if it's another person of color yeah something something that I'm thinking about is I wonder if it's like we have we generally react poorly when someone asks in such a way that demonstrates very low cultural competence I wonder if that's actually what's what is annoying or more bothersome about it than it is the questioning of itself. Because just like you you alluded to, when uh, like when older white women ask you, or when another minority or person of color ask you, let alone like another Asian person, like there's I know that when I'm asking another Asian person, I'm like, hey, where are your parents from? Like it's coming with a level of like there's no ulterior motive other than like hey like i have immigrant family as well so i'm kind of curious about your background and like i know that's where i'm coming from and i and that's kind of the knowing that i have when another person of color asks me that because there's this that kind of cultural assumption and given but then like there's a there's I do remember like being asked by white people around like where I'm actually from, but they demonstrate some competence around like they mm-hmm. seem to have language that suggests that they've been or they've been to Asia and they know the difference between like like micro difference between like Southeast Asia and like East Asia and like they can name different countries and they know the cuisines and like um in like kind of like you've mentioned it's not the like narrow focus of their conversation it's like one of many different threads that are wanting to get to know about me 
and it's not like the opener of the opener and sole focus of the conversation. It is just like one of the threads and they kind of jump off on it. And it's like the pre and post and how they ask the question that really conglomerates into, I was really put off by that or not. Yes. Right? Yeah. No, yeah, that, that's a great point. I think there's, it definitely matters who's saying it, how they're saying it. What else are they saying? Mm-hmm. And also, and also, I wonder if it's also, again, like being an Asian woman and then just stereotypes around like Asian woman, older white man, specifically in terms of power dynamics and potential fetishization or like whatever other thoughts could or could not be occurring. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that that's probably an underlying thing in my mind when I feel a little more frustrated in that situation than like with any other group or person. Yeah, because you you feel like, or if if they ask in that narrow way and they're not asking about other aspects of your being, it's it it tracks it pattern matches that hmm then maybe the only reason why you're asking is because there's some kind of fetish to the dynamic that is informing this thread of a conversation yes yeah Yeah. it's possible Hmm. yeah that makes sense yeah yeah it it kind of yeah you, you yeah it makes me think about when people ask really specific or personal questions about you without giving much context that are it's like i don't know you that well and you're asking it like a semi-personal question right yeah yeah that, that's true that's I, kind of what it reminds me right but it's interesting because i feel like usually like usually personal questions don't bother me too much and i'm a ve- i would like to think like i'm a very mm. open book and generally people can ask things much more personal than my like race or ethnicity and i'm happy to share it mm. uh I think it's like this one specifically where, again, I don't usually get mad necessarily when it happens here, but like it does bother me for however long. And then I stop thinking about it later. Um, So like in that situation, you describe yourself as I was petty and you decided to say, yeah, California. Yeah. What would have happened? Like, What did you feel like you were giving into if you if you just anticipated that oh yeah they're probably asking whether i'm like from china or taiwan or like which asian country um like what would have happened if you just gave them that answer like what why was that so petty for you or why why is that land in you as i don't want to give them this like what what's going on there Mm. like what's at stake like what what happens if you give them what what you anticipate that you wanted not much is at stake and honestly i do i do just give that oh usually okay sometimes i just give a holistic answer because i'm not sure what the person is asking but knowing that they might just be curious about my background Mm. where i was born like sometimes i just give the answer right away that like i'm I'm from california and i was born there but my parents are from taiwan In this case, I did not, which is <laughs> which when I and, and it's not like it consciously went through my mind, like don't mm-hmm. give them the full answer. Um, but yeah, I, I did not. And to 
answer why I think it's just probably like a somewhat petty act of guarding this piece of information that mm -hmm. I know you may be curious about because I don't know your intention and you haven't seemed like a super like welcoming person so far I don't mm -hmm. feel like I need this information so if you want this information then ask further for it yeah 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 uh, so here's an interesting thought actually is that I, I often do is when have you done the same thing to other people? Mm, like ask them about their background. In in a way that it was off-putting. That they, they perceived as off-putting. Yeah. Or could have perceived as, as off-putting. Like for me, like I, I've actually like this was with my last ex. She's native. And she was literally the first Native American I've ever met. And like got to know, mm -hmm. and like she, I remember her remarking multiple times, like how it like totally infuriates her when people ask her what percent native she is. Yeah, because I think from the argument she was making, like it's almost like a callback to the trauma, like the like Native American genocide and the trauma that comes with like forced separation of families and et cetera, and forced marriages. And so that's, I think that was the gist of what she mentioned. And so that's why she really was bothered whenever uh, she had a similar reaction of frustration of like, no, like this is so off-putting and I don't really want to answer this. And she would, there would be times she would like retell me what happened with some dynamic with someone she had just met in which they asked that. And like, in my mind, I'm like, Dude, I would have asked you the exact same thing uh, if 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 we were in a different circumstance. I probably would have asked you a different thing. But we were we started off as like a very romantic dynamic, so a lot of that information just came up. But literally, she, because she's the first native I've met, like I didn't even know natives were still around. I met her in San Francisco. Like I like I didn't even know that, um, and so. Yeah, to me, it just spoke to the absolute shit cultural competency that I had when it came to like Native American history. And she was basically the one that introduced me to a lot of Native American history. And I, I only know more about Native American history because we were together for the time we were, and she had me read a bunch of more history. We took a uh, like indigenous education, like uh, indigenous ways of knowing and learning class together. Um, but that was a classic example in which I'd been on the other side and I could have easily, I could have easily asked a poorly framed question, but because kind of like we've already alluded to, I was actually interested in her as a human beyond just that sliver. She never got mad at me or it never poked that part of her with in our, our conversations. Yeah. I, Maybe this is viewing myself too highly, but I can't remember an incident when I've asked someone and then they seemed they seemed even slightly like bothered or frustrated by my question. And mm. I think because probably one, I don't ask that question that often. I think I'm not sure how often mm. other people ask that in regular conversation. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think I ask it that often. And 
I think the group of people that I ask it the most often to are probably other Asian people. Mm -hmm. And it's unlikely mm -hmm. that they will feel frustrated by our conversation. And again, it's not the only thing that I'm asking about them. Mm -hmm. um, and then two, I think in general, the times that I can remember asking that question is because something came up in our conversation that was related to it. Mm -hmm. like it's not like it's not like I just like thought thought of this question out of nowhere and asked and and I think I've been cognizant where even if I am curious about someone's background I don't usually like try to guess or ask them simply because of that mm. I just hope it comes up in conversation yeah. <laughs> at some point but I think I think because I've gotten asked that question before and I know that in general, that's a that's a question that people can feel bothered by. Sometimes I try to not. Um, but again, it's possible mm -hmm. that there have been incidents where someone was annoyed by my question and just didn't bring it up and I didn't notice in the moment. Yeah. Like, I also wonder if it's... Uh, I wonder if that question itself mm -hmm. is for many people, uh, or maybe since we're talking about how, like, you feel this charge with, like, white people mm -hmm. or when white white dudes mm -hmm. ask it to you i wonder how much of it is that question is classified as small talk culturally for them mm -hmm. and it just clashes with our like people of color perspective because right. our relationship with that question is so much more complex especially as like first gen kids uh, whereas if like, I can see a world in which like, if, if you're white and like you grew up in like Boston and like the East coast and like, you've had like five traceable generations in the U S and you ask where you from and it's kind of casual, like, Oh yeah. Like I was, I was born and raised in Boston and my parents from Rhode Island and Maine, like, and it's kind of, so there's such more, so much more normalcy around it. Um, and they, they have like a set of known answers and expected answers. And when they meet, I don't know, people of color, they have, they're just absence of data points. Yeah. Well, I, th I think the question, where are you from, is definitely small talk. Mm -hmm. Right. But then again, that, that like, assuming that that's just like the first layer, mm -hmm. uh, and then I end up answering like Bay Area or California or something like that. Mm -hmm. Second layer, if they choose to inquire further, I do agree could still be seen as small talk. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but again, like small talk for them, but then maybe not for the audience who is responding in this case. Yeah. And I, I, th I think mm -hmm. that more often than not, the intention is curiosity or wanting to find common ground. And I say that because there's been times where someone asks me where I'm from or like where I'm really from or however they frame it. And then I mentioned Taiwan. And it's actually funny because um, sometimes they don't get the country right. And then they end up thinking I said Thailand or or I don't know something and then they end up saying something about Thailand like if they visited or knew something from there or had some sort of connection and then bring that up so I do think that it is small talk for them and that they're just using it to find common ground and like oh like this is where you're from and like I know this thing mm -hmm. about 
you're from so that like brings us closer which is kind of the point of small talk right yeah um, yeah so, so I, I definitely think that that is the case so like i think it's really interesting how i think when you were first introducing this topic you 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 were saying how the way this guy asked you uh created the experience in which you started thinking well like the the tone seemed to imply like you weren't from the country and you didn't live in the states and you're not american um i think it's interesting to contrast that to what you just said around like like generally speaking yeah people are coming from a curiosity plane so like what is the exact thing that like tips it over to make it start feeling like they're actually othering you or like othering you with some malicious intent or something or some uh what's the opposite benefit of the doubt uh intent i guess just like a cynical yeah cynical intent. Mm, i think it could be both and you just don't know usually right but like someone could be curious about your background but then also actually no that doesn't make sense to them curiosity versus other I guess the way I thought about it is if is if it's someone who is not a person of color whose family has likely been in America for a long time. Maybe it's like regardless if it is just curiosity or what their intention is, them simply asking you that question implies like you don't belong here is that possible you think where like their intent can be good but the question itself within this context can still be harmful well yeah i think the like super famous youtube sketch of the i think the Korean girl and the white dude, and they're running. I don't. Do you remember that clip? <laughs> oh, basically they're running, and they basically play out this entire thing that we're talking about in a comedic way. And the dude's like, "Where are you from?" And she's like, "I'm from like she's from like Southern California." And and then the dude's like, "Where are you from?" From, <laughs> and and then she starts. She gives this like really half confused, annoyed look of like. Well, my parents are from so somewhere, and but I was born here. Um, yeah. And then the sketch, is the, the turning point is when she flips the script on her, on the dude. And she's like, well, where are you from? And he's, he, he answers like, oh, I'm from this state. And he's like, yeah, but where are you from from? <laughs> because, and, and so it just becomes a hilarious thing because it turns out that he's from like Britain or something. And so she starts making fun of him or bringing in all these like British references of everything that she knows, every like kind of meme of British culture that she can think of. And it's just brings it to the conversation and it's just hilariously ridiculous. Um, I forgot where I was going with this or why I even started this thread, but 
Yeah. yeah. People who wouldn't usually get that question get it. Yeah. Tables turned on them. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So one interesting question would be like, or I, I think maybe the high level conclusion is like, it, there's nothing wrong with asking those questions. I think it's like what what seems. I think the common ground we we both seem to resonate with is it's more about the context of uh, is that the first thing you lead with? Mm -hmm. Is that the only topic you stay on? And does that become a jumping point? to get to know more about the person or is there some like weird focus in the conversation just to know that narrow aspect of them? Yeah. Um, it's almost like, um, oh, it's almost like one, one analogous of this is kind of like when people ask uh, what you do for work mm -hmm. and basically depending on how you answer, they either become completely disinterested mm -hmm. or they or like that just usually usually it's off-putting when that is like it, it quickly becomes a dead point in the conversation where it feels like the the only reason why they talk to you is because your response registers as compelling to them as like high status to them or desirable to them it's and i feel like that's like an analogous Right, like this is the only thing they were interested in. Well, yeah. I, I kind of said this earlier, but I think if it seems like if it seems like they are like taking you as a like multifaceted complex human, and then just mm -hmm. boil it down to like this one aspect of your identity, whether it's mm -hmm. work or your race, that is bothersome. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... One, yeah. no one I think would appreciate that because we recognize that we are much more than that. Yeah, it's actually kind of like um, when you're micro-famous uh, or any level famous. Uh, I used to be semi-famous in like in very niche Christian community. I had a very big YouTube channel and it was kind of off-putting when uh, people would come up to me and be like, oh, you're that guy? And it's almost like they had this preconceived notion of who I was supposed to be. And they didn't know how to interact with me as a human outside of that. Or it seemed like their entire interest in me as a human was only because of that. Right. Yeah. And do you think, well, I'm curious for you, was it, was it like exciting the first time that they ran up to you and did that? Because I think like with the, um, you know, like microaggressions that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned, I used to be a lot more okay with the question. And I think one of the things is just that if uh, if it like came up more and more over time and in situations where I didn't think the person's intention was as like innocent anymore, then mm -hmm. that just made me more jaded preemptively mm -hmm. for like other such questions in the future. So I'm wondering for you, like, you know, the first time that you got like your fans running up to you, <laughs> even if they were like boiling you down to, um, you know, this like Christian YouTuber, was it exciting? Mm -hmm. Were you already kind of bothered by that to begin with? I think the first few times it was surprise because I never imagined that my channel would have that kind of reach. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then I think quickly after that, it became, um, I think I was quickly kind of aloof about it and kind of like whatever about it. I'm like, oh, that's your channel? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and like I, immediately I have this guarded energy around like, I feel like I know, I feel like you're literally only going to be in this conversation because of this single aspect of me. And you're, there's almost no way you can recover from this conversation in such a way where I would be open to really like be myself with you because I feel like you've already put me in a box. Mm. And I wonder if what I just said resonates with how you feel when someone, when like older white dude asks you about race or where you're actually from. Right. You're like, even if they start talking about something else after I definitely Mm -hmm. have lost Mm -hmm. interest by that point, if that's what they started off with versus like, conversation so common point interesting so this is like actually not about race actually no it's definitely (laughs) is it it's definitely about race still i think because i think i think the two examples that we're talking about so like your youtube your Mm -hmm. youtube and Mm -hmm. racial dynamics i think there is the common point that we just talked about where it's people like taking this one aspect of you and then like blowing it up to your whole person Mm -hmm. but I think that I think that for example if it's like older white man asking me then the power lies in his hands naturally within our conversation just given our roles in society and how we are perceived and then for you like your fan coming up to you you naturally have in that situation even though you're the one being asked the question so i think there are some differences related well so yeah i guess it's probably yeah it's a stretch for me to say it's not about race but i think what i was trying to get at was (laughs) i would say maybe compared to where we began in this conversation it is less about race it like it's less than 100 percent about race yes yeah yeah like race is not the only thing Yes. Yeah, because when we bring the work example, like mm-hmm. that's a kind of like a platonic neutral power dynamic. And then mm-hmm. with my example, it is like the inverse power dynamic, yet it's still bothersome. Right. right. So here we have like three examples, differing power dynamics, uh, but similarly grading uh, in different. Yeah, similarly grading. And th- the commonality in my mind is like the the narrow focus and the like uh very like not so like very maybe like selfishly motivated angle of a conversation yeah uh that's that's how and it feels like invasive yeah uh, like, it, feel, it feels in, yeah it feels invasive and this is too strong of a word um but i think like dehumanizing yes trying in a way where yeah where it's like it's making you more like 2d yes right if like this is Mm -hmm. the only thing that like really is in who you are it's like i have a if you answer this question that i have for you it Mm -hmm. confirms that you are some uh avatar in my brain that i have of who you might be and the other person feels that and the pettiness is now about not so much about the information itself but more so i don't want to play your game of like i'm not your fucking avatar i'm not all your preconceived notions 
And basically all the variables that we labeled basically kind of intuitively imply that, oh shit, if I answer your question this way, then basically I've now fit into myself into your box and I'm no longer really allowed to be a real human. I'm just like an idea. I'm just reinforcing whatever idea you have. Yeah. And and that feels dehumanizing and that feels uncomfortable and distasteful and off-putting. And that's why I give a petty response. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your vain attempt to take the power back. Yes. Yeah. I like I like the I like the word avatar. I think that's an apt mm-hmm. description for yeah. how it is. I am not an avatar. I am not your China doll, as they say. <laughs> Similar idea. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Do we need a call to action for this one? <laughs> well, I mean, I think there was this, there was a, there, a juncture where we were talking about like what what could if someone was an older white dude listening to this, what could they have done differently? <laughs> and like our the I think the the thing that we honed in on was like it's really about how you ask, yeah. like is like is really is really evaluating your intent. Maybe that's like the call to action. Like yes. It's it's in yeah 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 that's no yeah it's intent but I think the tricky thing the tricky thing with so many things in life is you don't know someone's intent truly so you just yeah yeah, you just guess based on like the social cues that have been presented but then that's also affected by how irritated you feel in general that sure yeah well yeah I think it's. Um, maybe the call to action is really about actually self-intention checking where it's like in your interactions with people notice and be aware when you've like before knowing much about anyone you've already fabricated some concept around who they are and who they could be and um and when you have that, like, learned to show up in a conversation that is like, that isn't attached to that, <laughs> I feel like that's a, that's yeah. a big part. <laughs> that makes sense. And also, it reminds me of, um, like, the difference between listening to respond and think about what you're going to respond with versus listening mm. Like truly and deeply and compassionately where you are just engaged in the moment mm-hmm. if you are asking someone about you know like if someone was talking to you about your youtube channel because it mm-hmm. came up, or if someone like asked me where i'm from and where my family's from because it came up you can tell when someone's asking with genuine curiosity and from a place where it wasn't like they had already thought of this question earlier you know mm-hmm. which more into like the listening to respond like regardless of what you're saying like Mm. this is they already had in mind to respond with versus just being there with you and engaging fully and then like this question yeah Yeah. it's kind of like how um 
like with the YouTube channel. It's like if someone, I was already friends with someone and then like it came up that that was my channel and they're like kind of discovering it live. Like, and there's like, whoa, like I didn't know you had this channel. Like, and that's happened a bunch of times. Um, that lands so much differently than when like one of our first interactions is, oh my God, this is you. Like, ah. like the energy is so much different. Um, yeah, that's making me think now. Cause I, um, there was this like fashion blogger that I followed since high school that mm -hmm. I still follow. Um, and then I saw her at the climbing gym mm -hmm. years ago. And then I, I talked to her and usually when I see like celebrities or like mini celebrities, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't really say hi just cause I'm trying to let them do their thing and not bother them. Yeah. But I did in this case and then now I wonder if like we we actually had like a solid conversation after and she was really nice but now I wonder if because I approached her with that you did the thing <laughs> you like are an asshole <laughs> so wait, wait so what should I have done in that situation if I do know do I keep that information private and then bring it up later or just never bring it up at all and then pretend like I didn't know I, I think the thought that I was having as you were sharing that was like maybe an even more broad way to describe this is like notice when your motivation to your, your curiosity and interest in someone uh, like disproportionately hinges on one or two key pieces of information. Right. Like it's kind of like, oh, the moment you understand that like from a dating context, like if, if a woman, I'm this is so stereotypical. If a woman just realizes that you're like a multimillionaire, mm -hmm. how much does that change how much you interact with that person? Uh, in Silicon Valley, it's like uh, you, the moment you know that someone's like the founder of a venture backed YC company, you're like all of a sudden, most tech people are like, oh, like, I want to talk to this person. Um, or like anyone with like high status, or like the moment you discover someone with high status, like does your does the amount that you interact with that person significantly change on that one piece of information? I think noticing that that kind of energy, I think rhymes with what we're talking about. Do you think? Oh. Do you think it's wrong if you can sense your interest changing because of some piece of information that's arisen and then like you still continue talking with them or interacting with them? So I think it's wrong. There's very few things I think is wrong um, objectively. Yeah. Um, but what I think is I like to use my baseline of observing my existing friendships. You can actually... And dating is also a very great a, like comparison point to this. But I look at my friendships and I look at what is my default behavior with existing friends and what is my default behavior even when I make new friends? Like what is the reason why I will proactively or naturally build a relationship with them? And then I contrast that with the delta in behavior that I have with someone that does not have the characteristics of my typical friends. And I ask myself, like, what's about this person is so different uh, and like actually different from my friends 
that makes me want to spend more time with them, what is that thing? And if they did not have that thing, would I still be leaning into this relationship? So this is interesting because this actually segues into like, like one of the layers of why I'm not, I think, I don't know if I fully explain this to you, like around why I'm not interested in pursuing romance anymore, like traditional modern romance. Did I talk about this? Did we talk about this? I, I'm not sure if this is the reason, but does it have something to do with like you having been in like a few monogamous relationships before and then just wanting to experiment? No, so I'm, I'm basically, oh, dang it. Like, <laughs> I was, I'm planning to publicly announce this, but I guess this is a public announcement. Um, but I've basically decided I'm not putting any active energy into dating. I'm not planning to date. I don't have deep desire to date for at least until like at least five years. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because I don't actually trust who I show up as when I'm, when I start being romantically interested in someone, mm. because I noticed that I am 10%, probably like 30%, actually 30 to 40% more curious, more interested, more humorous, more playful, more, uh, more emotionally attuned more emotionally version. emotionally vulnerable and disclosing that sounds great that sounds like the better version of yourself yes but the issue is that it is not actually sustainable for me to do that it and what it does is it creates an expectation on the other side that that is my default and that is what has shit like shot me in the foot uh in the long run with all my exes and so that is, and so that's where I got this comparison from in terms of friendships of like, if I was not romantically interested in this person and they were just a friend, would it change how much I am leaning into the relationship? And the answer for when I'm romantically interested in someone, yes, it does. If I wasn't romantically interested in them, I would probably wouldn't spend much time talking to them. Right. Um, so that's, that was one of my conclusions and that's basically kind of a comparison point for this conversation where it's like uh when you want to, when you when there's one aspect of someone's being that you feel incredibly drawn to for whatever reasons like i from where i stand it's suspect it's suspect it's not uh, you should question uh, where it's coming from and it's likely not coming from a like like a normative aspect of your behavior set. It's not like normal behavior. You're like, it's an exception and you're behaving exceptionally because of that. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think that's unsustainable. For me, that feels a little disingenuous. For me, that feels slightly out of integrity of how I want to show up. And so I personally, I'm, I've decided to not try to entertain that either or be extra aware of that because I'm aware of A, probably how it lands on the other person, B, expectations it might create for them that I cannot continually live up to. And three, it just creates a sense of like out of integrity and out of alignmentness for myself. Yeah. This reminds me of the point you made earlier about one to two negative experiences influencing. Wait, <laughs> Influ what else? Well, I'm, I'm assuming here that there's been times in the past where you did show up exceptionally at the beginning but then it was disingenuous to yourself and then 
later on your dynamic with that person changed and the way that you acted towards them changed and then that came up in conversation or caused some conflict and I'm not sure if that's right but that's, I, that has happened descriptively that has happened to me yeah. in most of my right. significant other relationships yeah yeah and I, and I think I think it's interesting because granted I'm just a hopeless romantic so again different perspective here but I love the excitement that I feel at the beginning when I oh, am. I love it too. No, yes, yeah, no, not that you don't love it. I'm not questioning. I'm not questioning whether you love it. Um, but I don't think I've had, like, I don't think I've had incidents that affected me as much. Maybe where, like, my attachment to someone decreased over time, and my behavior towards them changed as a result. And because of that, I'm tempering how I um, like treat someone that I'm romantically interested in the beginning or like trying to just view them as friends to begin with or just not date in general. Like, I think I recognize that change in myself, which I think is natural in most, if not all relationships, aka the honeymoon phase. Mm-hmm. Or like they will just be more engaged with each other to begin with. And then over time it reaches like whatever baseline the relationship naturally has. But I think for me, I just accept that and I'm fine with. Yeah, oh, like just- so, I mean, the reason why I think it's a problem for me, or mm-hmm. at least in the women that I've been interested in so far, is that they continue to expect that trend past like post honeymoon. Right. And I think, yeah, so there I'm saying, I think that it's, I would think that it's natural for like whatever gender for just both people in a relationship to expect from the other person what they saw of them in the beginning, right? Yeah, that seems reasonable. Yes. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. And so it's because that is I what I assume. That's why I'm opting out of that game because I don't think I can conduct myself differently. Mm-hmm nor do I believe it's unreasonable for them to expect differently. So like I, out of pres- like self-preservation, I don't want to mislead someone around what I can sustainably, sh- how I can sustainably show up in a, in a dynamic. And I don't actually think it's actually good for compatibility. I don't think it's like that the process of modern dating from that, in that specific aspect doesn't actually help answer or vet for compatibility. I think the romantic honeymoon phase actually does nothing or very, very, very little to predict for compatibility and suss out for compatibility. Because you're blinded. That's yes. True. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I, I think both sides are like disincentivized to truly take a hard look at compatibility because romance is fun, like we both said. And I would agree. It's I don't I think it'd be very, very hard for me to successfully set aside that during that fun romantic phase and be reasonably grounded <laughs> and, and not make decisions out of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But why did we get on this thread? Um, <laughs> yeah. So we were talking about, yeah, it's interesting how we got to this point uh, in the conversation though. Um, I think how... was... Yeah, go ahead. Oh no no! I, I think I think because we were talking about um like hinging on one aspect of someone and then what like the actions that can result 
Yeah. So it's like it started out with we were talking about microaggression and race. Yes. And we were trying to like break that apart. And we stumbled across a thread that, oh, like there's actually a decent amount of this that has nothing to do with race and actually a way that humans interact with each other, interact with each other that actually is really off-putting. And we were trying to understand why. And so we're doing like this whole, where are you really from in comparison to, oh, so what do you do? And to the, oh, you're this person. And all of these kinds of questions can be off-putting because it kind of fits us into this preconceived box slash avatar of who they think we are. And we want to become petty or it becomes easy to want to be petty and not play that game and not answer their question because it feels like we're playing into that game and it, that does, it feels very disempowering to play. Um, and, and then we're just zooming out around how, like, what are, what are just, what is the general thing that's happening, which is we're just focusing on this very narrow aspect. Like, why do we actually do, why, why are we the, uh, the causer of that? When are we on the side of the one that asks that grading question? And that usually happens when there's like a single facet that we find really compelling about a person and it changes how gung-ho we are about pursuing a relationship with that person. A very common example of that is in dating. We find that they're, oh, they're uber wealthy. Uh, or we find out that they're like, they have this, I don't know, they're very, usually it's like very high status. It's a high status thing on both sides, I feel like. Um, and that becomes the reason that we pursue them. And I think we were, yes, I think we were using that as a thought exercise to examine our own motives of when we might unknowingly be the same person that uh, kind of embodies what you were talking about at the very beginning, which is this waiter who's asking a personal question that's very grating to you. And when might we be conducting ourselves in a similar way as that waiter, where we show up in a way that is kind of contrived, kind of puts someone else in a box, and is actually not deeply, mm, not fully genuine to, in the sense of not truly wanting to, to know this person in front of us holistically, but there's this one aspect of them that we're over-indexing on that makes us like laser focus, overly laser focus on that, on them because of that. And I think that's actually what's off-putting about it. And that's maybe how we can notice within ourselves, when are we actually doing the very thing that you are talking about as a really annoying microaggression, uh, but in totally different context. Yeah. So that's my summary. Yes, beautifully summarized. Thank you. This conversation does make me, well, I think it's been helpful because it makes me feel less annoyed. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it, makes, it makes me feel less annoyed at some of the incidents that have come up. Um, such, as, such as like the ones we were talking about, like where people ask you where you're from or... Or the other common one of just saying me how to randomly when you walk mm -hmm. by also happened like a few times on our trip um, mm -hmm. and has happened to me in other places. But I think, but I, I think it's helpful to recognize 
the times when we have also done that to other people, not specifically in a race context, but mm-hmm. over-indexed on one factor and then ask them questions about that that maybe bothered them when we didn't realize it did. So for example, like me meeting the fashion blogger that I really liked, like mm-hmm. perhaps the conversation thoroughly irritated her and then she was just pretending. I literally, I literally did this in New York the last time I was here. Wait, what? I, I literally did... <laughs> I literally did what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, like like went up to someone. That you... Oh my god! So yeah, so I think this is when I was staying at your place. Um, there was I went to a uh, a podcast mixer, and there was a a girl there that she was Asian, and she shared about how she dropped out of college and she now works in social impact, mm-hmm. and I got so excited, and I'm like, yo we should hang out or we should like get to know each other. Cause like, that is literally my story. And like how many Asian Americans out there have dropped out of calls and now are doing like social impact stuff. I was so excited. And like, she was so standoffish from my view. She was so closed and it seemed like she was suspicious. And like, in, in my mind, I'm like, yo, we are like birds of a feather. What's going on? And she was just like, mm. So it's actually very reminiscent. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it could be. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but that, one, oh, that one is interesting, though, because like I guess in that case, you are still focusing on these few factors about her that she dropped out of college, also works in social impact, is also Asian, which that combination mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. very fine. But I'm surprised that she was... I'm surprised that you would act aloofly about that because in this case, you also had those experiences, which is why you're resonating versus Mm -hmm. the other examples we were talking about. Like, it's not like starting off with common ground. Yes, I know. You're right. And it was confusing, but it rhymes. Right. You know, it does. It does. I, I, I do think that could be related, but yeah, I would would say part of it, part of it is probably because she doesn't know me. She didn't know me. And so all she had to rely on was me saying in conversation of like, hey, yeah, I was a dropout too. And I'm doing this kind of thing. So like she didn't know know that about me in a way that was show versus tell, right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily grounded in her having known me in a genuine way. It was me giving her information. So it's it's not quite the same. There's It would be really hard for me to translate the same personal resonance that I had to give that to her in a way where she would generally feel that way about me. And so yeah. I would suspect that's probably a big part of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So guilty. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> it, it also makes me think, I don't remember the exact study. I remember learning in our, and like, um, because my background in school was psychobiology, so half psychology, half science. Mm-hmm. And I remember learning in one of our psych classes about stereotyping and why it happens. Mm-hmm. And I wish I remembered the studies more, but the general idea is that like people stereotype because the way that our mind works, we naturally want to hinge on like one or two or basically like a minimal number of factors to try to 
box someone in or just like figure them out or mm -hmm. I guess like make some sort of determination about like oh like like what is this person you know and that that it mm -hmm. makes sense why our brains do that yeah so I guess this conversation has also like prompted me to think about that because you and I are reflecting on times we might have done that for other people mm -hmm. and if other people identify us by our YouTube channel status or by our ethnicity, which is one of the most obvious things upon yeah. first yep. impression, again, it's a natural human thing for them to do. Yeah. And like likely not with malintent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's also, and it's usually when, when you're in that when you're on the side of like finding resonance about another person who doesn't know you in the same way, right. you're not empathetic to how little data they have about you. Because mm -hmm. usually you're just caught up in your world of like, oh my God, you also are an Asian college dropout. Let's hang out, talk, get to know each other. I'm, that's all I'm caught up in. And it's very, it was much harder for me to realize that like bro she has no information about you you're just a rando at a random meetup and that's probably her experience um well that, that was her experience that's literally her experience so when you're in that space you're just not aware of how you're not empathetic to the other person's experience usually because you're so caught up in yours right yeah also in, in your case because it was a panel where you heard more about her story because yes. she was part of the panel, right? Yeah. So in that case, even then, there's, I think there's like a few power dynamics at play where yeah, sure. One, mm -hmm. one is that you simply know more about her now, so you have more power because of that. And then from her perspective, like all she knew about you, as you mentioned, was now these three like bullet points that you mentioned. But she's aware that you know all of this about her. Yep. Um, yeah, which is why you feel more connected. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It'd be so weird if she ends up listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope so. I hope so. Okay. Sure. I don't know. I just didn't expect to arrive to, oh, shit. I've been guilty of a similar kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna think also because I'm I'm sure there's been other instances where I've done the same. And then I think right now they're just not popping out because they're not ingrained in our mind as faux pas. Yeah. So then I know. mean I think like I I notice myself naturally observing this dynamic when I meet someone who's like really high status uh, or like has a relatively high profile. Like, so like some one ain't like early stage angel investor. I'm like, yeah, like I, there's a part of me that wants to proactively reach out to him because like he has that status. But when I observe, like, what would I naturally do? Like, I really have no reason to reach out to him. Uh, another guy who's like the, the founder of well-known Boba chain, like so many people like want to congregate around him, but I'm like, like, I don't actually have much in common. I wouldn't actually reach out to him. So like, I think that's a very common dynamic of like mm -hmm. when someone professionally can offer you something or can off offer you a lot. I think that is a very common instance in which people might have a really big shift in their behavior. 
Yeah. Or now that you mentioned that, there's been times where I'd like to think I didn't change my behavior too much mm -hmm. because I was trying to be cognizant of it. But there's been times where I've met friends of friends and then I found out that they had a large following mm -hmm. on social media, for example. And then it automatically puts like a little spotlight on them in the room, especially if you don't know like other people necessarily. And then it's like yes. one just after that just yeah. kind of naturally puts them on a pedestal already. But I've tried yeah. to be aware in those cases and not mm -hmm. necessarily like just go talk to them about that and like yes like be more intrigued in talking to yes. them yes fully agree yeah i think i'm much more aware of that and i because i'm aware of it i try to like use my like friendship comparison baseline of yeah. like how would i reach out to this person if they were just a friend and not any different than any of my other friends yeah. so that it doesn't so like i'm trying to be extra mindful to not create this waiter and you experience that you talked about where it, it feels off-putting. It feels like I've already boxed them and it feels narrow and it like inorganically, non-organically narrow because sometimes there's organic narrowness that feels okay. But yeah. So, so maybe that's the learning for everyone of, well, that's great, actually. I'm really proud of us. <laughs> I did not expect to arrive here at all. Yeah, because I wasn't sure. Well, like I was, I was telling you about, you know, my travel experiences with my family, and then like some of those frustrating incidents. But I hadn't thought too much about like what the takeaway would be there. I don't but, think I ever have a clear takeaway. I think yeah. the whole point is us, us kind of investigating. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Well, so one one thing that we decided before this was if there is anything that stuck out to you uh, on this podcast, um, feel free to reach out to us. We are in the process of creating an email that you can reach out to us by. But for now, you can probably just find us on socials or like if you're a friend that is listening to this, please let us know how you what you thought, because uh, right now we are in a total vacuum. We have no idea what people think about this. Uh, Literally just the two of us, and we think we're doing pretty well. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. yeah, so if you have suggestions on topics, if you want us to like dive deeper, or if you want to like play devil's advocate on a particular point, or you you are maybe really hurt actually by one, one of the things that we shared. Uh, I, I I would like to know. I don't know if you want to know, but yeah, no, I I would. I might cry a little bit, but I would. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to know because I think I, yeah, with the, the nature of the topics that we're talking about, more often than not, have a lot of charge for for most people. So I think it's understandable that we might say things that may be a bit cold slash insensitive because we're we're having a very like dissect e approach to a lot of this stuff and it might be very not empathetic to someone with like really painful experiences uh mm -hmm. that's not lost on me but i think we're just trying to model how you can have uh, how public discourse could be had around these kinds of topics to kind of encourage the dialogue because i think so much of internet discussions nowadays is very flamey and ragey and ad hominem and uh, othering and very demonizing. And I think we're trying to just model a way where 
well, what if we just take their word at face value, try to understand where they're coming from and see if we can both arrive to a middle ground, arrive to a better perspective about it, be slightly better humans down the road as a result of this conversation. So that's really our intent. Uh, so we certainly don't intend to offend. We don't intend to hurt or re-traumatize anyone or uh, put off anyone or discourage anyone. So please reach out if that any of that comes up for you. We The feedback would be helpful and we can be more mindful in the future or we'll, we'll try to be, we'll do the best to, in, in the future. So. And yeah, right, right now we will set up the email and then as Brandon mentioned, you can feel free to message us. But in the future, we'll probably try to think of a way to foster even more discussion. Because again, right now, it's only Brandon and I talking about these very big, complex topics. And we also come from the perspective of like two Asian people that for the most part, are in very privileged situations. So I want to recognize that, especially for mm -hmm. like both the topics that we've covered so far, consent and race, that there's a lot of other opinions that mm -hmm. I'd be aware of unless people shared them with us. So positive, constructive, whatever it is, we would love to hear your thoughts. We're also in a very narrow band of an age group as well. Good point. <laughs> very so, true. Yeah. So... Yeah, so if you got to the end of this, thank you for listening, and we'll hopefully see you in the next one. Hey, thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.